Thanks for joining us at Risen King Church for our weekly podcast. We pray you meet God and know that you are loved today. Be sure to visit us at risenking.life to take all of your next steps and follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. Enjoy the message. Good morning, everyone. We are uh, in a series on strength, on being strong in the Lord and in His mighty power, particularly in this year of 2020. So I thought we'd go right to the passage about being strong in the Lord. So I'd like us to read together here in Ephesians chapter 6, beginning at verse 10 through about verse 18. I like it when you read Scripture with me. The church reading Scripture, I think, is very powerful. Let's read together. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of His might. Put on the whole armor of God, that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand firm. Stand, therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, and having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith, with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. And take the helmet of salvation, and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the Spirit, with all prayer and supplication, to that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. Now, in this passage, it says that there is an enemy who wants to take your strength away, and that he has a scheme. Now, there are different ways of doing deliverance. There are different effective ways of doing deliverance, of getting people free from demonic oppression. But you need to know that there is a very specific scheme or agenda that Satan has for you. And basically it's this, to render you passive, to get you to the place where you give in, you give up, and you allow his assignment against you, and there is an assignment against you, his assignment against you to eclipse your true personality, so that you begin to believe that either that demonic presence or that a demonic assignment is you. For example, anytime you say, I can't help it, you are speaking of your passivity. Anytime you say, I had no other choice, you're speaking of your passivity. Passivity is so effective because it's a form of deception. And the problem with being deceived is you don't often know you're deceived. And so you have to start looking at the evidences. So if someone comes to me and they say to me, I just can't be faithful in my marriage. The first thing I notice is that's a passive statement. And that they have allowed, they have allowed a spirit of lust to take a place of control 
so that now their own personality has been rendered passive and they believe the personality of the demon to be theirs. This happens generationally. There are people that say, my mother was a worrier, my grandmother was a worrier, I'm a worrier. Other people say, my father had a temper, my, my grandfather had a temper, my brother has a temper, I have a temper. Those are all passive statements that says, your family has been deceived into believing they have no other choice but what the generations before them did. Which is exactly opposite what the scripture teaches, where it says, reckon yourself dead to sin and alive to God. So if you're dead to sin, then you, when you say, I can't help it, you're believing a lie. And the lie is really what the warfare is about. Um, there's a, a couple of books. You may not want to go back to the 1600s like I do. But uh, there are two books that are amazing books written about the warfare. One is Thomas Brooks' Precious Remedies for Satan's Devices. The other is a three-volume set by William Gurnall called The Christian in Complete Armor. If you've ever heard of C.H. Spurgeon, the great Charles Spurgeon, the great English preacher, he read Gurnall's Christian in Complete Armor every year of his life. He thought it was that important. Now, here's one thing that Spurgeon didn't have. These are both 99 cents on Kindle. <laughs> Gurnalls will probably fill up your Kindle. It's a lot of stuff. But what I, why I give this to you is if you want to go a little deeper, a little more than some of the contemporary superficiality about spiritual warfare, these guys dug into the Bible, lived as pastors and preachers, and said, we need a remedy. And the remedy is the armor of God. And one of them said this. He says, Satan, you know, is not this paranormal experience. Satan doesn't leave fang marks. He leaves lies in your heart. And so what Paul is talking about here is the ability that you have to shake off your passivity and begin to actively not only defend yourself against these schemes, but actually win the battle. And he says, in order to do this, you've got to put the armor on. And so, when do you put the armor on? Well, think about it. When does a soldier put the armor on? In the middle of the battle or before the battle ever starts? You see, the, the tense of the verb here is so indicative of what Paul thinks should happen every day for you. He says... Having put on. In other words, before you even face the skirmishes of the enemy, you have already put on the full armor of God. These verbs are all in the past tense. He's really saying, and, and I don't know if you've noticed this, but we have a tendency to drift. We have a tendency to coast spiritually. If there's no major crisis getting our focus, church becomes a little less urgent. Prayer becomes a little less frequent. Spiritual things become a little less pervasive in our schedules. And what happens when you coast is you drop your armor. And as you're dropping your armor, you're slipping in your strength. 
And the thing is that the whole while that you're not having major skirmishes, what Paul is saying is that you're having small skirmishes. Every single day we're faced with particularly the possibilities of things that will produce or reveal or cause you to feel impatient or will cause you worry. So here's one of those small skirmishes where people can irritate you, where people can upset you, where you're even, you know, you're disappointed or their reaction is difficult. And immediately your response, your reflective or reflection, kind of like instinctual response is, you idiot, you moron. Maybe you don't say it out loud. Maybe some of you do. Some of you say, well, much worse, much worse words, but I'm trying to be nice. So your first response is judgment. You're a moron. You're an idiot. You ever thought of what that does to your soul when you say that? When you say that about somebody else, you are setting yourself up as not the moron, as not the idiot. What it does to your heart is it hardens it and says, I'm better than you. I'm not as stupid as you. I would never say that like you. And so it brings a spirit of criticism in to the way you think about people. It, it, it forms a divide between you and others. You don't have the patience with them because they don't deserve it. They haven't earned your respect. That small skir skirmish becomes a heart-hardening, pride-exalting skirmish in your soul because your armor's not on. Can't wait till the big things to put it on. Having put on the armor. Not waiting till you know the enemy's arrows are flying, but rather recognizing that the small skirmishes can take you down like nothing else. So that when the big ones come, you have no strength. Think about worry. I know, worry is basically you saying, whether you're conscious of it or not, worry is you saying, I know how my day should go. I know how people should respond to me. I know how things ought to turn out. Basically, you're saying, God, you don't know what you're doing. You should do what I think you should do. And things should turn out the way I want them to turn out. Worry is basically dethroning God. And so when you allow your heart, having not protected your heart with the armor of God, you allow your heart to not be ready for these smaller skirmishes your heart starts to move in a direction. And that your heart can become grumpy. It can become irritated, angry, worried every single day. And you not recognize that that was a scheme of the enemy to destroy your strength. See, if you let your heart go in that direction, you've really lost the battle. This was on my heart this week to prepare for this message and I went to this to this meeting and 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 I wasn't prepared for what was going to happen at the meeting I wasn't ready for certain things to happen I thought it was going to go a certain way and in the midst of this meeting this guy got up and said the stupidest things you could ever say and he said them for a long time and and I just I I didn't have the armor on friends I didn't respond 
in a way that I should respond. And I, 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 he, he was going on, and I started going, shut up. Shut up. And then I got madder. I went, sit down. Now, the problem was I was sitting beside Lisa. So I had bruises. She started going, they can all hear you. But see, I was so angry, I didn't care. My heart was not armored with the armor of God. My heart was being revealed that it was threatened by what this person was saying. My heart was revealing that I still didn't have patience. My heart was revealing that I was worrying, that I I wanted it to go Mike's way and no other way, and it was coming out. You see, my issue is me. I'm the only one I have control over. I'm the only one I'm responsible for, but I wanted to control him. I wanted to control that meeting. I wanted to control the outcome. And when that deception comes in and I become impatient, it didn't make me impatient. It revealed my impatience. It didn't make me prideful. It revealed my pride. It didn't. It didn't make me fearful, friends. It revealed that I'm still afraid. And so you begin to realize this isn't something you can only put on when you know the arrows are flying. You've got to put it on every day. Are you tracking with me this? Let me just say one more thing about this. Have you gotten to the place where you recognize that when this stuff comes up, Have you gotten to the place that you know that sometimes those things that are coming out of your heart don't compare well with the truth? And see, what happens to many of us is when we mess up, we beat ourselves up. But you see, if all you do is have guilt and shame and regret and remorse, you won't really learn your lesson. You'll harden your heart more. You'll hide your heart more. The Holy Spirit is bringing irritating people into your life for your good. (laughs) Difficult circumstances, unexpected outcomes so that you can see your pride and be healed of it. But you have to be able to judge your own heart. You have to be able to compare your heart With the truth, am I believing lies? You see, instead of going, I did the wrong thing, here's a much better question. What did I falsely assume? What were my false expectations? What were my false assumptions before I went into that meeting? Because you see, you can change your behavior, but if you don't change your assumptions, you're still controlled by the lie. You have to know the truth well enough to compare it to the lie, execute the lie, and appropriate the truth. And you have the ability to do this. If you're saying to me right now, I can't do that, then a spirit is controlling you and you have been rendered passive. Because you can know the truth, you can apply the truth, and the truth will set you free. But you have to decide. See, some of us decide to be passive because we think there's a payoff to passivity. But passivity is bondage. Think about this again. 
Scripture says, reckon yourselves dead to sin. That's not passivity. That's active obedience to the truth and alive to God. That's who you really are. If you say to me, I just can't help it, if you hear that word, I can't help it, you should immediately know you are in a spiritual skirmish. And it is time for you to put the armor on. And don't wait till it's too late. The truth is, there, yes, there are kind of weird things that are associated with the devil, and there are weird things that happen with the devil, but they're not the routine things. The routine things are the attack on your patience, your character, your pride, and your worrying. That's the routine spiritual warfare that all of us are subjected to. Are you tracking with me in this? So let's talk about the armor a bit. First, you've got to understand that Paul is not writing this to non-Christians. He's writing this to believers, to Christians, Christ followers. And he's saying to them, Take what is already true of you. If you look at the list of elements or articles of the warfare, of the armor, you will see that if you have come to Christ, every one of those things belongs to you. But he's saying take these because you need to activate them. You need to appropriate them and you need to have them for the skirmishes that happen in your life. Paul does this in other places as well where he details not just what is ours in Christ, but what we have to then appropriate in Christ as well. In Ephesians 3, he says, According to the riches of His glory, He may grant you to be strengthened with power through His Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love. Every one of those things that he's saying there is already true of every believer. The Spirit is in their inner being. Christ is dwelling in their hearts. They are rooted and grounded in the agape, unconditional love of God. But he says, may have strength, and, strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and the length and the height and the depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. So what is Paul saying here? He's praying for the Christians not to just know this objectively, but that Christ's love would become so real to the very center of their heart. In a way, you see, you can acknowledge or you can assent to intellectually, these things belong to me because I'm a Christian, but that doesn't mean that you have activated them and are now relying on them. That's what trust is. Trust is when you go to the place where you say, I know that this is mine, and I will trust it as I go through the difficulties with people and circumstances in my life. So just as the love of Christ must be activated in the life of the believer, so the armor, which is already yours, you have to say, I possess this armor. I possess it. I apply it. He says, you can't passively have it. You have to put it on. What he means by that is pretty simple in a way. That you begin to drill this subjective reality, this truth, this objective truth becomes a, a, a reality to you subjectively. So much so that when irritating people come into your life, your instinct isn't to say, you stupid idiot. Instead, your instinct 
flows out of the armor that you have, the identity that you have. You respond as a loved, infinitely loved, beloved daughter, beloved son of God, and as a person who is protected and safe. It's an instinct. It's not something you do later. It's when you are tested, patience comes out. When you are tested, love comes out. How do I know that? Because this is exactly how the beloved Son of God responded whenever He was attacked, whenever He was criticized, but especially when He was crucified. Do you remember what He said? Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. So in a way, the armor is Christ Himself. It is not your ability to respond well to difficult people or difficult circumstances. It's your ability to appropriate by faith who Christ is and what Christ does in your crises. So that you begin to let this be not something that doesn't come out of you ever, but something that comes out of you reflexively, instinctually. What I realized as I looked at my, my response to this person, is that what was coming out of me was not my knowledge, my, my, my security in that I'm infinitely loved as a son of the Most High God. Or it wasn't come out of me that I was safe. What was coming out of me was fear. Oh no, here's another argument. Oh no, here's another attack. Oh no, here's another person. Now, let me just be real. Some people say really stupid things. And sometimes you'll go, how can they say that? That's a lot different than saying you're stupid. See, you can, you can have the wisdom and judgment to go, that was not a wise thing to say. That was not true. This was wrong. I disagree with that. But the difference is when you are an infinitely loved child of God and when you are safe, you don't have to defend yourself. You don't have to put them down to put yourself up. You don't have to make them small so that you can be big. If you look, even when Jesus was tested, he still told them the truth. He called the religious leaders whitewashed sepulchers or whitewashed tombs. But he didn't say it to protect himself. He said it so that it would be clear that their religion was empty. It was for their benefit that he said it, not to make himself. You see, he didn't have a security issue. He didn't have a fear issue. He knew what his father thought of him. He had heard his father's voice say, This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Hear you him. He didn't have to hear the Pharisees say he was a beloved son. He didn't have to have his disciples say he was a beloved son. He had already heard his father say it, and that was enough. So when they didn't respond appropriately to him, it wasn't a devastating thing to him. It was devastating to those who didn't listen. And he made clear by countering them, but countering them without, without trying to destroy them. 
countering them so they could know the truth and the truth could set them free. Come on, I can't even say that better than I just did. I don't know if I can say it in the next service. I said it so well. Maybe we'll just, maybe we'll just do the film. Come on, that, did you not see this? You understand? If that's not coming out of you, then you still have a security issue. If that's not coming out of you, you still have a love issue. And if that's not coming out of you, you haven't put your armor on. So there are seven items, if you include prayer, in the armor of God. The first one, and we're going we're gonna to do them in sets of three, three for, for time's sake, because I could spend a week or more on each and every article. But let's start with the first one, the belt of truth. Now, in English, when we translate this article of clothing in the soldier's armor, we say belt, but belt is probably in no way descriptive of what the garment actually was. It was made out of leather. It was very, very thick and protective, but yet at the same time, it was very flexible so you could move easily. It protected you and it moved with you. It covered you all the way to your neck and it went all the way down to your knees so they couldn't get a, a knife into your thighs. So this garment, it was, it was foundational to the entire armor. So in a way, what, what Paul is starting off with is he's saying, if you don't have this, you don't have the rest. So if what you're doing is that you are trying to counter the schemes of the devil with coping mechanisms, you don't have the truth. And if the truth isn't the foundation of your defense and your attack, then you have no other armor to work with. And so the idea here is very much paralleled in Colossians, where it says, in the same way that it says, put the whole armor on, here it says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. In other words, you're not instinctively a person of the word. You have to become a person of the word because you love Jesus, because you want to overcome the enemy. You begin to say, I need to know the truth. And I need to be able to compare the lies with the truth. And I need to take captive the thoughts that are lies so that I can put on the throne of my heart the very truth of God. And so the idea here. Is, gets clearer when you see how Jesus dealt with his own disciples. In Luke, there are a number of narratives where they're in a boat. But one of my favorite ones is a storm comes up. And I, I believe if you look at that storm, it's a demonic storm. These are professional, some of them are professional fishermen who have fished their whole lives on this very, on this very body of water. They know the storm's there, but they are utterly racked by the storm, and they are completely convinced that they're going to die. The severity of the storm is supernatural. But the reason I really think that this is a demonic storm is that Jesus rebukes the storm just like he rebuked a demon. And the storm responded to his rebuke. So you began to see that they were in a skirmish, maybe a major skirmish. And... Uh, when he rebukes the storm, he does so 
because they wake him up from sleep. And they say to him, don't you care if we die? I actually like it better in King James. Carest not that we perish. Can you imagine saying that when a storm is about to kill you? I can't. But uh, I think I'd be yelling, get up! <laughs> in a high-pitched voice, you know? <laughs> Certainly not with an English accent. So, that, so Jesus rebukes the storm, and then he rebukes his disciples. Now, some of you may not have thought through this, so you need to, even though you know the story, listen carefully. He doesn't say you need more faith. He doesn't say you have too little faith. He says, where is your faith? What he's saying is, do you not know, he's saying, you've seen me. You've seen my power. But your heart is not shaped by that truth. Your instincts are, I'm going to die. He's basically saying to them, you did not respond to the storm as an infinitely loved and saved person. See, when a storm comes and you say to Jesus, do you not care? Why have you not saved me from the storm? Why have you let this happen to me? Why have you brought this person into my life? It's not that you need more faith. It's that you're not demonstrating any faith. Because you're, you're basically forgetting how he has loved you, how he has saved you, how he has identified you as his son, his daughter, how he's made you eternally secure. And what's coming out of you is revealing that you lack faith. So when we begin to look at this issue of the belt of truth, if the truth has not become a reality for you, then what happens is the lie will be the way you interpret your pain. And if the lie interprets your pain, you will kick away from God. You'll push away from God instead of leaning into him in the storm. Here's the thing I know about the Luke story. Jesus said, we're going to the other side. A storm in the middle of the lake does not change the will of God. And I like this saying, what, what Jesus says in the light does not change in the dark. It reveals more about me or you and our character than it does about God and his character. Where are your instincts? That's what this is about. If the instincts are to trust, then you have the belt of truth on. If your instincts are to not trust in the storm, then the belt of truth is not buckled. It's not on. So breastplate and shoes, that's the second category. Now, these are, again, you can't go through routine days without arrows flying. And those arrows are these skirmishes, these schemes of the enemy. Now, I love the idea of the armor of the Roman soldier because his shoes gave him traction. It's why the, it's why the, the Romans were so effective in warfare. Is their shoes gave them traction against all their enemies. But it also made them able to cover great distances. So you, he's saying you've got to be able to move. You've got to be able to move quickly. You've got to be able to move with strength. But he's also saying, look, the place 
that is most vital for your life is covered not by you, but by a breastplate of righteousness. I remember one time a pastor said to me, I don't have the breastplate of righteousness. I don't have any righteousness. I'm not righteous. I said, it's not your righteousness. It's the righteousness of Christ. Can you imagine a pastor who preached for 30 years and didn't know that the breastplate was the righteousness of Christ? He kept thinking it had to be his righteousness. You understand, Jesus became sin. He who knew no sin became sin so that you might become the righteousness of God in Christ. He took your sin on his account and he put his righteousness on your account. So when the enemy goes after the heart kill, friends, you have the breastplate protection of Jesus' righteousness. Are you hearing me? So, in other words, what he's saying here is when you walk around, just walking around, watch what's coming at your heart. See, the issue of the armor is it's not an increase of willpower. It's not an increase of your power. It's God's armor, not yours. In other words, you didn't provide it. You didn't make it. You didn't produce it. He's giving it to you. And it's received by you by, by faith. You don't achieve the armor. You receive it. But here's the truth of real Christian spirituality. The thoughts of your heart lead to these emotions, which are your motives, your drive of your heart, which lead to the actions of your will. So what Satan is after, he's after the thoughts of your heart. If he can win the battle for the thoughts of your heart... He can win the battle of your will. I mean, think about how many times a day things happen that are different than you planned. <laughs> I remember this, this one uh, woman told me that five times a day she planned in her head the conversation she was going to have with her husband when he got home. And she argued with him in her head, and he said this, and she said that. And, of course, he's a man. He never said what she thought he was going to say. I mean, we're absolutely clueless as to what we're supposed to say unless you tell us what to say. So she was not only angry about whatever it was, but she was angry that he hadn't seen the thoughts in her head. And so he's sitting there going, why are you yelling at me about this? Well, we should have had this conversation, and you should have said this, and you should have said that. And he would just be utterly, utterly unable to please her in any way. Because in her head, she had it all drawn out. She, she, she was not able to get past the thoughts in her head, which became then motivations of her heart, which became the way she dealt with her husband, and she could not be happy. But he, Hebrews 3.13 begins to, Help us to understand this a little bit better. It says that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. This is what he means by this. If you begin to entertain lies in your head about your sin, if you say things like, you know, I know this is wrong, but God will forgive me, what you're doing is you're putting yourself in a position of hardness. Because once you do something, it's just so easy to do it again. And it's so hard to stop it. 
I mean, many of us did not mean to be addicted to pornography, but once we started, it just became such a hardness. And here's the thing with deceitfulness. Deceived people don't know they're deceived. It is why that is such an effective strategy. So here you have a battle for your heart, but it starts more with the thoughts of your heart. What do you believe? What do you know? So the helmet and the shield in many ways have to do with assurance, has to do with your confidence in your relationship with God. One thing I would like you to understand is the Apostle John in his epistle, that's hard to say out loud, He says that there are three marks of a Christian. He says it over and over again. He says, this is how you can know that you have eternal life. He says, one, do you love to do what Jesus asked you to do? Do you love to do? Not do you just do it begrudgingly. He says, do you love to do what Jesus asked you to do? And then secondly, he says, do you love others as you have been loved by Jesus? Do you have agape love for others like Jesus has had for you? And then the third one is this. He says, you have an assurance. You have a confidence. You know that you know that you have eternal life. And so the helmet of salvation is the enemy comes after you and says to you things like, do you think a Christian can think thoughts like you think? Or the enemy comes after you and says, do you think a real Christian would behave the way you behave? And the only way that you can defend against that is not by saying, no, I didn't do that, because you probably did, and you probably had those thoughts, but instead to be able to say, look, it's not my record that I hold up before God, it's Jesus' record. It's not my resume. It's not my transcript. When I stand before God, I stand before God in Jesus' resume. I stand before him on his record. He has taken my sin, and I have received his righteousness. And you see, that's the helmet. That's the shield. So that as the fiery darts of accusation or temptation or the fiery darts of deception, the curses of the enemy, they find a place in your shield of faith that they can't penetrate into your heart. You guys are really quiet, except for Alan. <laughs> are you hearing me? I know this is it's somewhat heavy, but this is where you and I can overcome. This is for us. The armor is not for Jesus. Jesus is the armor. And it's for every one of you in this room. But here's how he says the armor becomes real to you. He says the sword of the Spirit and prayer. The sword of the Spirit is the Word of God. In other words, you can't be dressed in the truth if you don't know the truth. So if you, you have no desire in a way to know God's Word, or you have no desire to know God's will for your life, then the, the lies has supplanted the truth, and the rest of the armor won't work for you. But here he says, the Bible and prayer. The Bible and prayer. And it, it's very personal. 
It has to be your own personal understanding. It can't be through intermediaries. It can't be, hey, you know, the, the, the Jesus that Mike preaches in the name of the Jesus that Mike preaches, Satan be gone. No, it has to be in the name of the Jesus you know and the name of the Jesus that you're in relationship with. In the name of the Jesus that you understand his character and you understand what he's asking of you. But more than that, he says, pray in the spirit. You understand there are a lot of people who pray. They don't get any answers. And they'll say to me, prayer doesn't work. No, your prayer doesn't work because you're not praying right. There's a right way to pray. There's a right way to approach. And the, the spirit is already praying the prayers for you before you ever start praying. As a matter of fact, two people are praying right now for you. The Son of God is interceding for you at the right hand of the Father. He ever lives to intercede for you. So he's praying for you right now. And the Holy Spirit in Romans 8 is praying in your spirit right now. As a matter of fact, he's getting at the things you don't even have words for. He's travailing like a mother ready to give birth so that even the deepest things of your soul are being expressed to the throne of God. But what happens is we pray whatever we want to pray. And then we go, why doesn't that work? <laughs> well, let me tell you, when the Son of God prays, the Father answers. When the Spirit prays, the Father answers. All you need to do is start knowing what they're praying for you. You don't have to invent your prayer life. You just need to join the prayer meeting. They know exactly what to pray for you. They know you're in from the beginning. The Father has a destiny for you. I love this. It, when you start to really pray, you start to realize God is calling to you, not from the past, not even from the present. He's calling you into your future. And when you pray, He has the resources ready for you, but you have to begin to lean into Him, not ask Him to lean into you. So here's the thing. You've got, got to realize that part of what helps you overcome the skirmishes, personal Bible, personal prayer. But then you need friends who know how to pray, who know the word, who will challenge you, who will challenge you to, to get beyond superficiality, who will call you on your stuff. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. Sometimes I'm like, Lord, couldn't you have given me a wife who just really liked me all the time? And... <laughs> Just thought I was wonderful, and he said no. <laughs> he couldn't do that because I needed someone who would say, no, Mike, that's not the way to think. No, Mike, that's not the way you respond. I have bruises all over my body. <laughs> Pinches, pinched knees under tables, elbows. Let me tell you, you, you can't do this alone. I mean, I've seen people in their interpretation of the Bible, I'm sitting there going, you're a heretic and you're starting a cult. <laughs> Until you get around other people who are saying, that's not the way to go. That's not what that means. And that's why you need church. You need some place where other people are challenging you and asking you to go deeper. But it's always got to be Bible and prayer. Bible and prayer. Because you will not have the armor for the skirmishes without 
Bible and prayer. That's why starting in February, we're going we're gonna to read the Bible for all it's worth. We're going to go after it together to become people who are deep in his word, who handle that sword well. But you see, you don't handle the sword well to hurt other people. You handle the sword well so you learn to pray well. A lot of people don't like this, this imagery of spiritual warfare. They think it sounds rather violent. But if I could take you just a quick survey of the scriptures, God has always seen himself as the divine warrior. When he rescued the Israelites from the Egyptians, when they were slaves in Egypt, and they came across the Red Sea, and the horse and the rider were thrown into the sea. Miriam, Moses' sister, sang a song inspired by the Holy Spirit, kept there in the Holy Scriptures. And in it she says, he's our divine warrior. He's thrown off the yoke. He's killed the oppression. And he's thrown the horse and the rider into the sea. But see, he, he didn't stop there. When Israel became corrupt, when they became impure, when they became disobedient and unholy and unclean, he became the divine warrior against Israel. Because you see, he is no tribal God. He is not saying, I will, I will defend your corruption. I will defend your, your wickedness. I will come against you, he said, as, your, as the divine warrior. So he is no tribal God. But when the people of God once more were enslaved to the Romans, it's that time that Jesus came. And when Jesus came, he used a reference. He called himself the Son of Man, which is a reference to God, the divine warrior. His disciples were certain it meant he would overthrow Rome. They were certain that he had come to break the yoke of their oppressors. But Jesus didn't come to do what they thought he came to do. He didn't wound anybody. A broken reed he would not break. A small fire he would not put out. Instead of wounding, he healed. As a matter of fact, Jesus is the only kind of divine warrior that we've ever needed. He didn't come with the sword. He came to bear the sword of the justice of God. As he was receiving the justice of God that was due to us, he was forgiving his enemies. He was loving his enemies. And friends, you were one of those enemies and he died for you. Once again, he is the only one who overcomes evil with good. I love this picture. Because you see, you and I, we're not called to hate people who are our enemies. We're called to love them. We're not to hate the people who irritate us. We're not to get protective and judgmental and hardened of heart and say, I'm better than this person. But we can only do that if we realize that for Jesus to get rid of the evil in the world, he would have had to get rid of us. But he chose to take the evil on himself and then give you himself all that he is, all that he has. He has united his divine warrior with your heart. Will you stand with me? Would you close your eyes for a minute? I just want to—I—I I, want to say a couple of things over you. I'd like you to hear it very personally. If you have given your life to Christ, if Christ has become your Savior, your Lord, 
then you need to know that His Father is speaking over you what He spoke over Jesus because you are in Jesus. If you're a daughter, He's saying today, you, you are my beloved daughter in whom I am well pleased. He's saying over you, you are my beloved daughter. In me, you are safe. You are inf infinitely loved as a beloved child and you are safe in the Father's arms. If you're a son today, he's saying just what he said over Jesus, you're my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. If you fight that, if, you, if inside of you, you say I haven't deserved that, I don't earn that, then you're not, it's not an issue of more faith, it's an issue of faith. Because if you are in Christ, you are loved as Christ. You are His beloved Son in whom He is well pleased. He has loved you with an infinite love. You are His beloved Son and in Him you are safe. It's time to put the armor on. It's time to activate it. It's time to trust in it. Not just to objectively pass the test. On the boat, the disciples failed the test. They would have passed any theological test, but they failed the test in the storm. We need to put the armor on today. So would you say this with me? Would you just touch, touch your waist? You say, I put on the belt of truth. Jesus, you are the truth. I put on the breastplate of righteousness. Jesus, you are my righteousness. I put on the shoes of peace. Jesus, you have made peace between God and me. I lift up the shield of faith. I will extinguish these fiery darts. Jesus, you are my shield and my protector. I am safe in you. I put on the helmet of salvation. Touch your head. Jesus, you are my Savior. I lift up the sword of the Spirit. The Word of God. If you are for me, who can be against me? Jesus, you are the Word of God. And I hide your Word in my heart. I draw in prayers in the Spirit. Jesus, you're my intercessor. Spirit, you are interceding for me right now. I join that prayer meeting. Sometimes you just need to say it out loud. You could do this for the next 40 days. It'll become a habit. Become a heart habit. Putting on the armor. I love that phrase. Having put on the armor, I am complete in Christ. Lord, we see what you're doing now. In Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. We'll see you next week. More strength coming.